Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. This is Hugh Ballou. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Every week, we interview a guest who's knowledgeable about nonprofit work, knowledgeable about leadership, knowledgeable about business skills and strategies, somebody that's experienced in the world of leading organizations and all of the multiple things that go along with leading organizations. And today we're talking to you, uh, hopefully not in the middle, but it seems like forever pandemic where we're having to reinvent reality. So reinventing reality certainly means mastery under stress, mastery under pressure. So we're talking to Tina Greenbaum today about her expertise in this area and a book that she's got out and lots of other wisdom. So Tina, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange and please spend a minute or two and tell people about you so they'll know who is speaking. Sure, well, thank you first for inviting me and being here today, I'm delighted to be here. So I am a psychotherapist by training and I learned, I started 37 years ago and I learned very early on that my very traditional psychotherapy training was insufficient to actually help the young women that I was working with. And they were, <clears throat> excuse me, population of women with eating disorders. And at that time, nobody had ever treated eating disorders. And they gave us a book, said alcoholism, crossed it out, put eating disorders and said, go. So I learned that just talking was not going to help them. <clears throat> they were very bright. They were very creative, but they weren't changing. And I would say to them, I hear you, but I don't feel you. And if I don't feel you, you're not going to change. And so intuitively, I knew that I needed to get below the neck. People ask me, what do I do? I help people get below the neck. And because we have a universe here, a whole body, literally and figuratively, of information that can guide this mind-body connection. And so <clears throat> over the years, again, I've developed and, and trained and how do I get under the conscious mind because that's where change happens. And that's where a lot of my skill and comes from. It's a short version. <laughs> and so, um... You and I have been around a few years and we've seen a few things come and go. And sometimes people in our generation are, the word they use is retired. And you could choose to do that. I could choose to that. But, but why do you do this kind of work that you're doing now? Well, I think I was asked mm, in a training maybe about 10, 15 years ago, how old were you when you started to help people? <laughs> maybe, maybe about this big. And so I've always had an inclination, sort of an insight, um, intuition in how to, how to help people. I thought it was just common sense and common sense was as logical to me as anything. It's like, I don't know, how do you not know it? It's right in front of you. I never knew that it was actually a gift. And as I began to train and get more knowledge in terms of using this gift, I found that I was able to help more people. And I don't know about you, when I have a sense about you, given what you do here, that that's probably one of the most satisfying things in the world. And people come back to me, old clients, and I spoke to somebody yesterday, one of my clients who's now in Paris, and I've known her for maybe 15 years, and just on and off, she comes and goes, and, and she's like one of my kids. You know? So um, why would I stop doing that? Ah, it's like um, disowning your children, yeah. I see that, I, you know, and I'm, I'm in the same space. When people say to me, what you said or what you did or what you taught me made a huge difference. So we impact people's lives who impact other people's lives. Right. And so that's, that keeps me going. And that's, uh, that's probably the greatest value that I receive. Now, where your book, it's behind you, but hold it up. You have a copy of your book. There you uh, go. <laughs> that's the theme of what we're talking about today. So back up and talk about where did the idea for the book start? And it's a lot of work writing a book. So what did you want to, why did you want to write a book and who's going to read the book? Very interesting question. Um, I've always wanted to write a book. Um, 
and I thought it was just out of my reach. I didn't think, you know, just certain people wrote books. And I remember a number of years ago, I moved into Manhattan and I went to a women's networking organization and there was this absolutely stunning woman, French woman there. And she says, you've got to come to the next meeting. I'm speaking about this thing that I developed and I created and I have my book. And I said, okay, so I wonder, you know, what, what did she do? What did she create that was so amazing? So I came to the next time and I come in and she's dressed to the nine. She's got her ghostwriter and her marketing director and lots of books lined up. And, and, and then I'm like listening to what she's talking about. Now, if you weren't in my field, you wouldn't know it perhaps, but I knew where she got everything from. There was nothing original in there. And I said, well, big smarty pants, you know, she's got the book, she's got the ghostwriter, she's got the marketing team, but you've got knowledge. So I took that as, you know, how could I put that together and get the word out? And then I just started following my nose, taking business coaching courses and and finding out how I could scale because exactly what you said, Hugh, I wanted to be able to have as much impact as I possibly could. And the book is a wonderful way of doing that and sharing. Um, you know, if people can't work with me individually or in my groups, um, they can get all the information right in the book. It is a, it is a, a worthy journey writing a book. And, and for me, I wrote my first book, I guess, in, um, 2004, 2005, I've got 10 uh, uh, in print and 10 in eBooks and 10 online programs. And each one of those has been a journey of clarity for me. And if people, uh, you and I met at a business growth conference, I don't know if you, how many years ago was that? Maybe about five. Okay. Okay. And then we didn't connect for a while. Then all of a sudden here we are. And um, so we're talking again, and I'm, I'm really impressed with what you're doing and what you have done, especially in this, this whole area that you're talking about, and it's very relevant today. Um, and, and I believe you and I talked about um, in your studies that you uh, studied the work of Murray Bowen, Bowen Systems. Yes, yes. In my studies there, um, let me see how my own anxiety is <laughs> contagious. And we see a lot of that. When the leader is anxious, then it's it spreads instantly. So for p- folks listening, uh, Murray Bowen was a psychiatrist, MD, and he d- was in family therapy, but he started looking at the, the trends he saw and then developed eight concepts of leadership and has ri- wrote essays about it. And Roberta Gilbert, who's still my coach, mm-hmm. and she's a little older than both of us. Um, she is very experienced in writing more books, but she was a colleague of Murray Bowen and she put them into systems, Roberta Gilbert. And so that's been, for me, that's been some of the most important, uh, leadership, I would say perspective and self-management tools I've ever learned and, you know, learning about self. Cause we like, I'm a, you know, I'm a conductor and what the orchestra or choir sees is what I get. So there's a lot of self-responsibility, self-awareness and leadership. So talk about um, this, this, this pressure we talk about, how do we master ourselves? And the, 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 um, the chapters are, are interesting. I'm gonna, I was looking at the, the chapters, your book, and I haven't had chance. I'm, this is on my, on my reading list here. It's just a lot of really good things, overcoming negative thinking, meditation, how we create change, why this work is so hard to do alone. I mean, the, the chapters, are just they're spot on uh, for what we need from negative thinking to, to productive thinking. So, um, talk about the 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 um, what do you hope people will will do as a result of the inspiration they get from your book? So I'm basically a teacher at heart, and what I learned, and I continue to see this day in and day out, and day in and day out. Good mental health is not a natural sport; it's a learned sport. And these are things, everything that I have in my book, um, everything that that Hugh was talking about are things that we can learn and teach. And so I had great parents, but they didn't know a lot of the things that I've learned and studied. And hopefully I have been able to pass some of this onto my children. I'm watching my, one of my sons raise my grandson with so many of the concepts and things that he is learning innately from this really, really early age, but most of us haven't. So 
I was always inspired by people who would come in again and they would know about their mother, their father, their sister, their brother. They could tell me all kinds of insight, but they didn't know how to change. They didn't know how to stop that voice that just keeps going and going and going. You know, we have all kinds of phrases. I say a lot of times that what I say is not new, but it's, it's common knowledge, but it's not common practice. And again, everything that you said, focus, relaxation, meditation, dealing with negative self-talk, how to visualize, dealing with fear. These are all things that we can learn how to manage in a way that's a step above the way that we typically react because the brain is designed to be on alert. It's, a, it's designed for danger. Okay, there's a part of the brain, the amygdala, that's 20, you know, 360 days, five days a year, 24 hours a day, is picking up information. It's this massive computer that records everything. And so when we have a trauma, we, have, we call big traumas, which are like car accidents or pandemic or big losses. But then we have thousands of little traumas, little losses that we just in the light, you know, in the experience of our lives, you know, we lose a boyfriend, we, you know, we lose something we care about, we lose somebody that we care about. So there's always these processes that are going on that if we don't know how to move through them, they get stuck. They get stuck in the brain in, um, and that's what PTSD is all about. It's frozen material that is not processed. So, in the field of, of psychology, mental health, personal growth, there are so many things to learn that you could do that just a little flip of the way you phrase something or the way you think about it can change your life, honestly, truly. Well, in, in the case of leaders, just connecting the dot with what you were talking about and um, the principles of, you talk about peak performance, it was our subtitle for today. Um, managing self is where I was going with the, the Bowen stuff. So it's, it's really important to learn how we impact other people by how we speak, how we show up and how we lead. And I'm, I'm surprised at how many people blame others for situations that they actually cause since they set up. So how, how do we become more self-aware as leaders? I think you use the word, the operative word is to become aware. And so the, the term mindfulness now is, um, it's, a, it's a buzzword, but it's a, it's a process, you know, it's a, it's a practice that's thousands of years old. Mindfulness and the definition of it, if anybody wants to write it down, because it's very helpful, I think, is being aware in the present moment without judgment. And that without judgment is a really, really big phrase because I could notice, oh, I opened up my mouth and I said, that was really stupid. Or I, you know, I'm, I'm giving a speech and somebody's sitting there you know, with their phone and, and they're not paying attention. And all those little thoughts that kind of come up, if we don't notice them, they, they hijack us. And then we start reacting as if this were the truth and so on. <laughs> so the first thing is to notice, I notice, I notice, I notice. And then when we notice enough, we can write it down, we can jot, you know, in, in a journal, we are going to begin to see our patterns. I notice when this person gets in front of me, I get triggered. You know, when that person's in front of me, I'm really calm. What is it about them? What is it about this? So it's really you being curious. We spend thousands of hours in leadership, you know, studying business and you know, strategies and, but I have a little triangle in the talk that I, that I give, it's your competitive edge is really this level of self-awareness and self-mastery because great leaders can see things before anybody else sees them. And they um, can see how they're gonna unfold. They also, when you said this earlier, you notice that you were, when your anxiety would spread. And so, we call it presence. It's a level of presence. The more work that you do on yourself and the more authentic and clear and um, vulnerable you allow yourself to be, the more people are attracted to you because your energy is calm and clear. And even in a great crisis, okay, that great leader can calm, you know, calm the waters and for me, it's, it's without doing that personal work, I don't know how you kind of 
can really get to the high places and, and really live the potential that you have. Personal bias. <laughs> no, no. I, I see I see what you're talking about. And I have seen it in 32 years of my work with um, entrepreneurs and, and nonprofit leaders. And we set out because we have a vision. Entrepreneurs are great. We just jump off the diving board and hope there's water down there. <laughs> done it a couple of times myself. <laughs> you know, um, I've, I've been asked before, do all of you entrepreneurs suffer from insanity? And I say, heck no, we enjoy it. <laughs> there is a necessary prerequisite, but we're visionaries. And you, you hit the nail on the head. Leaders live in the future. We forecast things. Instead of saying why, we say why not. And we find a vacuum and we create something to fill that vacuum. Unfortunately, we don't always have the tools to do it. And I could see that this would be a, a, a necessary book for any leader to have on their shelf. Talk about, you, you talked about the self-awareness and all of that, but those are blind spots. There's a reason they're called blind spots. And your, your chapter three of your book is why this work is so hard to do alone. So how do we surround ourselves with people? And then you talked about vulnerability, like Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and you talked about who we attract. James Allen, his little book as a man, think it says we don't attract, I've changed it to neutral language. We don't attract what we need, we attract what we are. And yeah. so how do, we, how do we surround ourselves? We, Center Vision is about the synergy of our common vision through our team. How do we how do we build this team that will help us be better? Because we can't see all these things. How do we create a system that's safe and, and will empower us rather than help us feel like vulnerability is a leadership skill? So how do we surround ourselves with the people to help us? I think it's a great question. And, and it's a great question. And you may identify this. I certainly can. Because of this gift or natural ability that I have, you know, which is emotional intelligence really, our great, great leaders are highly emotionally intelligent. And so I know for my life, a lot of times I would say, I tick and everybody else talks. You know, for me to find my tribe, my people, has not been an easy task, honestly. And many of the places I've moved, I've moved in search of um, people that I can relate to. So I look for people that are winners, people that I can aspire to they've achieved something that I want. And I study them, I follow them, I may read about them, or you know, even when we're talking about career you know, searches and, and I just said to somebody yesterday, find the people that are doing what it is that you wanna be doing and interview them, ask them, you know, how did you get here? What was your path? Uh, what are your secrets? People love to talk about themselves. So um, many times when you ask, people will. But I also listen to people's language. And honestly, I could tell probably within a couple of minutes whether anybody has done personal growth work or not. They're pretty much um, what you see is what you get. They're, you know, not, they don't bring themselves down, but they're, they're talking, yeah, yeah, I really struggled with that or that was really hard or God, yeah, I've had a couple, you know, a couple really bad decisions at the same time. I, people, you know, they don't pretend. And again, if you're sensitive to your surroundings and people you're around, you feel good around them. You like them. You wanna be around them. You wanna have conversations. I love deep conversation. <laughs> that to me is one of the things that gets me more excited than just about anything. And so I'll start a conversation, even at a networking event, I'll start a conversation and someone will ask a good question or they'll, they'll, they'll be thoughtful in a certain way and I'll, I'll wanna know more. I want to hang out with them. That's one thing. And then the other thing is I take my time in building that level of trust. So somebody may, and this is how I got myself into trouble, you know, financially with some of the business people that I invested in. They, you know, they had great ideas and they were great salespeople and they were very charismatic and, and they were going to take me along with them. But I needed to kind of be a little bit, um, you know, more discerning. I needed to take some time and find out who else has been successful with you and interviewing people. And so I say good intuition is a great hunch. 
Now I'm very intuitive, but I have learned also, it is not the rule. I could no sooner go in there and say to you, Hugh, I know exactly what you're thinking, because I don't. I have to ask you, is this what you might be thinking? Are we on the same page? So there's, again, a lot of skill that comes in in terms of communication. And, uh, but basically, if you want to find the um, people that you want to hang out with, look for the people that are doing the things that you aspire to do and that inspire you. That's great. That's great. Um, now, does that work equally as well for introverts and extroverts? Yes, it does. Because introverts um, have their own measure of who they trust. And I have, uh, I have three sons. One of them is very much of an introvert. Takes him a long time, a really long time. And he's also not only an introvert, he's kind of got that genius kind of mentality. He's a sound engineer and a music producer. And so if I thought that I didn't find my tribe easily, <laughs> it's not very easy for him. But the same things, you know, like, who do you aspire to be? How did they get there? And when, he, when the first time um, he brought around a bunch of his friends from, this, from the sound studio, he said, Mom, they're just like me. <laughs> and um, he still struggles with it to find that group that is just like him, but they're there. People are out there. You just have to be willing to be proactive and find them. And listen. And listen. Yeah, that's the very underutilized um, skill. Absolutely. It was implied in what you were saying that you you interview people, but there's it's an active listening that you're in, in, in using there. Um, so you um, you speak a little bit about, um, oh, I love this. The only thing standing between you and your goals is you. <laughs> That's a sobering thought. Talk about that. <laughs> I know. We kind of, you know, my little team, my little marketing team, we went back and forth. Is it too negative? You know, are people going to run away from it? But it's absolutely the truth. And if you think of either yourself or people that you know, that have not gotten as far as you think that you should or that you would expect that they would. I would venture to say that they have not done that level of personal growth work. What do I mean when I say personal growth work? It really is becoming aware of those blind spots. Everybody else knows them. <laughs> and you know, I always say, wouldn't you want to know what yours are too? And once you have a sense of how they show up, where they show up, I'll give you like a little example. Because uh, I am the person who I am and I really am very strongly uh, akin to justice. I don't like to see injustice. And in my younger years, I would get myself into a lot of trouble. I would just open up this mouth. I can't believe it. How could you do that? And don't you see this? And don't you see that? And my son's soccer coaches and how you could buy. <laughs> so, I, was, I had a coach, it was actually my first spiritual teacher, and he gave me a name. He called it Tina in the Middle. <laughs> that I could get myself in the middle of just about anything and get myself into a lot of trouble. And not only me, but my children and, and people that I was connected to. So I had to become very, very, very aware. When does she show up? What are those situations that make me vulnerable that I could put my, insert myself in a way that I don't belong? And so I started to recognize what it felt like. And I'm a bit, very big proponent of mind-body connection because we have a universe here that gives us information. When we're anxious, the body gets tight. And, and so I would listen to a conversation and I would wanna jump in and I could feel this urge, like, don't you wanna hear what I have to say? And then this uh, Tina in the middle would come in. Pause, stop, ask yourself, what would happen if you opened up your mouth? You know, what are the consequences of you saying? You know, have you checked out the situation carefully enough? So that it gave me time, and I use that pause because it's, it's, it's like, let's stop for a moment. Let's think, you know, because the body reacts, you know, and, we, and, we, and what our natural thing is that we react. And the whole thing about improving your ability to tolerate stress is what I call it, in, in, in enlarging this window of tolerance. I used to call it a buffer and 
Now there's a, there's a professional term called the window of tolerance. So here comes stress. And this is my capacity to hold stress. And once I hit my nervous system's capacity, then comes the stress response. And the body goes into, you know, the muscles tighten, you know, we start to get anxious. We can't think really clearly. Nanoseconds later, the thought comes in. And so my whole work is all about increasing this window of tolerance. So here comes the stress. It's just another problem. There's something that we need to solve. And that's really the, the whole, the crux of, of the, the mastering under pressure and, and building the skill to be able to do that. I had to flip when I started studying Bowen systems 10, 11, 12 years ago. You know, I knew it all. I had it down. I went in because my wife went, went to seminars. And after a while, one pivot was dealing with conflict. And it was exactly what you're talking about. Um, I just avoided it. And that's what leaders do. And especially one of the sectors I work with is clergy. And they're famous for avoiding conflict, which really it just festers. And what was minor becomes nuclear. So the calm, conscious presence and staying out of the emotional piece of this and staying in the thinking piece, which is my experience years ago with therapists was how does it make you feel? And Bowen's perspective is let's think about this, you know, okay, feel it, but now let's go to, let's, let's not let your brain, our brain gets flooded with the emotion. Yes. And, and, and so um, your, your work is leading people to what you call peak performance. And all of these are tools and, mm -hmm knowledge builders. Um, Napoleon Hill interviewed 500 leaders that Andrew Carnegie introduced him to. And some of the common traits he found were, these were successful people. They had a positive mental attitude. They did had a no fail because they failed a lot. I think that's one of the qualifiers that I take. People introduce me as an expert. That's because I've, I've made more mistakes than anybody else. <laughs> so I've had more time to do that and then correct them and learn from them. So talk about your founding principles. Now, explain what you mean by principles. And then what are, in your approach to peak performance, what are those founding principles and how, why does that matter? So the founding principles are, uh, we're teaching skills. And so skills are like any other thing that you need to learn, require practice and repetition, practice and repetition. There's a wonderful book called The Talent Code forget the guy and I forget the author of it, but he went around the world and studied great performers, great athletes, tennis players, um, musicians. And he kind of pulled out like what was true about these, these, the greats. And number one, they all had a great coach, which I thought was a really interesting thing. And they had a tolerance for failure and they had a willingness to go back over and over and over again, again, you, you know, you as a conductor, a musician, how many times you go over the phrase, over the phrase, what's working, what's not working, what do I need to change? And so not everybody has the willingness to work at that level. And that again, separates the people who do. Um, but these are skills that as you're learning, you are building new neural pathways in the brain. And the more you repeat and the more you repeat and the more you correct, self-correct, what worked, didn't work. You know, I'm just working, I have a, a presentation to give this afternoon on uh, PowerPoint. And I'm just standing here in my, in my office just going over it and over it. Oh, it gets stuck there. Okay, how do I do that? How do I, get, it's just like music, going from one phrase to the next phrase. How do I get from this idea to the next idea, you know, with ease. And so it's a willingness to keep going back over and over and over again, to be self-aware Self-critical, not in the sense of, you know, saying you're bad, just again, noticing this didn't work. This didn't work, I got stuck. And so, so that's kind of a basic principle that these are skills and it, it is a mind and a body experience. We need to quiet down the body so the mind can be clear. That's the whole, again, that's that window of tolerance. Quiet down the body and the way that we do that is focus, relaxation through meditation, through mindfulness, and breathing and, and getting this whole system quiet so that in an instant, in an instant, when you start to recognize that here the body's getting tense, I can go back to that breath 
I can go back to the, you know, my, my body, the, the center, the Tantien, and I can ground myself and I can start again. And so doing that and then going up into the mind and, and really recognizing belief systems. What are the ones that I want to hold on to? What are the ones that are just ancient that I picked up from somebody? All my biases, we're talking so much about racial bias now. And um, there's so many things in there that we can bring to our awareness, okay? Do I still believe this? Is this something that I, I want to carry on or not? And so, um, and then the other thing I think is really important. I, I, a lot of times people talk about positive thinking and the one talk that I'm going to give one of these days is positive thinking is highly overrated. <laughs> and <laughs> I say that because I can say, oh, I'm just going to be fabulous or I'm going to do this, right? But if I don't have all the other ingredients <laughs> and my, my unconscious and conscious mind and my behavior and everything else and all my belief systems, if they're not in alignment, it's not going to happen. So I like to use the word productive thinking. Do my thoughts produce something useful for me? So, so if I'm getting into one of my negative spirals of that was really stupid or this will never happen. No, where is that take? Does that produce something useful? For me? No, no, no. That takes me down a spiral. It's going to put me into a place where I'm going to be down in the dumps. Not helpful. Okay, so I made this mistake. What is, you know, how can I make this thought into something useful for me? Well, I want to do great. I feel bad. Why do I feel badly? Oh, well, that person was looking at their phone, you know, and then I can take, well, does that, is that really a reflection on me? Everybody else was listening. So you just, you expand, you bring things into context so that you can learn from them. Constantly, constantly learning. Uh, I believe the book you were talking about, uh, the talent code is, uh, Daniel Coyle and John Farrell. I love it. Yes. Yeah. And Daniel there's, back, there's a regular book and then there's a, there's a short version of 25 things that, that um, what you need to do in order to create talent. Um, and there's a 52 book. And then there's two of the talent code. Greatness isn't born, it's grown, here's how. And then there's the unlocking the secret skill in sports, art, music, and math, uh, the talent code. So it's, it's, that's fascinating. So you triggered a lot of questions, but unfortunately, we don't have time to deal with them all. But there's a lot of um, consistency in, in, in what we teach in Center Vision and what you're talking about, you know, taking charge of your own thoughts. And uh, Bob Proctor, a uh, great leadership speaker, talks about the mind, the mind-body. Mm -hmm. about the mind-body, he also talks about the conscious mind programming our subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, how, how, talk about, what do you mean by the mind-body connection a little bit more? So if I go back to my example of um, Tina in the middle, <laughs> uh, so when that would happen, I would start to, there, I, I'd get a certain feeling. I, and you know, my body starts to give me information. Or there's another example that I use um, about, let's just imagine that you were afraid of dogs, right? and your peripheral vision picks up a dog and the body will go into the stress response and then nanoseconds later, the mind will say dog. So it behooves us to really start to understand how our body speaks to us. There's a, a brilliant, uh, Bessel van der Kolk is sort of the father of PTSD, you know, talking about PTSD and he, um, from a mind-body connection. And his book is called The Body Tells the Score. And so when you begin to start to, there's a whole form of therapy, somatic therapy, where you begin to start to become aware of how your body responds to certain situations. So I don't like to be controlled. I don't know anybody that really does, but it um, really, <laughs> I, so I've worked for myself for 37 years. I haven't worked for anybody. So, when I feel like I'm being controlled or there's something, there's something that I, I, I'm being blocked, I'll get it in my neck. I'll just start to feel my neck and my shoulders start to tighten up. So I have just, all I have to do is notice this. And then I start to look around, okay, what's, what's you know, where am I blocked? Where do, where, am I, where do I feel out of control? So these two things speak to each other all the time. It's a shortcut. It's just a shortcut. Oh, I get it. 
you know, this person kind of, you know, blew me away or what, whatever, blew me off. Or so this relationship takes time to recognize because again, you have to become aware. What am I noticing? When so-and-so speaks to me, I just always kind of, you know, I get angry. What is it about that? Okay, what happens in me? And so we just, are, we have a, a greater kind of book to use. You know, we have we're so, become so much more expansive when we bring in the body and the mind together and really learn individually how you work, not how I work, not how Hugh works, but how you work. I had, I had a client who's, um, actually she was a friend who was, had three older brothers and when she would feel stress, she'd feel it in her legs. She would be running away from her brothers. You know, when she would get scared, she would run. And so that was her sort of insight and, you know, piece of self-knowledge that when I feel that way, I'm feeling scared. And then we can go figure out what to do about it. So not letting that emotion get triggered is what I'm hearing you say. There's a, there's a minute, you said nanosecond later, but sometimes it takes a little longer to be aware of what that reality really is. Absolutely. And so I think God puts people in our lives to test us and to teach us. And, um, you know, how can his book on antagonist talks about an antagonist that we can't treat them the same way. Bowen talks about uh, focus child and psychology. It's the identified patient. In Julie Cameron's book, Artist Way, there's the crazy maker. The right. one, but these people are about attracting attention to themselves. So, it, so there's a there's a there's a discernment moment there. Yes, to, so to realize that, it about you. Yeah, because it's great, Hugh. So we can't always stop the trigger. Yeah. What, I want people to understand that. That's where my work. That's really where the the training comes in, and and helping people. Uh, really be able to bring it down, you know, but, but we, it's, it's like an emotional signature, like an energetic signature in the cells. So it's not always easy to stop the trigger. But when we do this other work, we may notice that we don't get triggered. You can't, it's very hard to, you can't go directly to it. So we have to learn all the signs about the way our body and mind kind of operate. And over time, it's like, well, that used to just drive me crazy, but that doesn't, it's not getting me anymore. That comes from this level of work. But the other thing, you said something else that was, um, I just kind of lost it. That was great. The antagonist, the focus child. Yeah. So this is a great, this is a really wonderful thing. And again, I didn't make this up, but um, I use it all the time. When somebody triggers me, because again, the first thing that we want to do is we want to blame. That's the, you know, the, 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 the less evolved brain wants to just blame. So let's just say, I notice that this person triggers me. And the question that you wanna ask is what is it about them that triggers this in me? As opposed to, oh God, if only they would do this and if only they would do that, if only they would change this or that. So what is it about them that triggers this in me? So it's an operative question that opens up a universe. That is, yeah, asking questions is a good leadership skill. So we have some people watching, and if you're open to them asking questions, of course, I'll open their mic. Um, but just to, before that, I want to I want to ask you about meditation and why it's important. But I want to do a sponsor moment, and our sponsor is our our printer. For our magazine, Nonprofit Performance 360, here's our friend Frank Schenkowitz, who formed Make-A-Wish Foundation. He was a um, motorcycle cop in, in uh, Arizona. So WordSprint uh, teaches us that mail mail, you send mail, uh, and here it's, it's a third, the message, the right message, a third to the right person, then the fourth is the right rhythm. Only 10% is appearance. So Word Sprint teaches nonprofit leaders how to stay in touch with their donors with mail. It's in their hands. And 20 years of research, he nails it. This is what happens. This is how you do it. We want to keep our supporters supporting us. So Word Sprint, just like it sounds, wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team will help you develop a program that will keep your donors and actually raise the donation amount over time, if you're faithful to his program. 
So let's talk a minute about meditation. And then in our few minutes we got left, I'll just see if uh, folks want to ask a few questions who are faithfully uh, Bob Hopkins ready to ask questions. So talk a minute about why meditation is important. Meditation works on many, many levels. So meditation is focused concentration. So it doesn't matter what you focus on. It could be, it could be a pen. It could be a word. It could be a sound. When you focus on the con when you focus on this one thing, it quiets down the left side of the brain, the chatter side of the brain, and it opens up the right side of the brain, which is the creative side. So when ideas just kind of come and, and float. So, and what happens at the same time is it also quiets down that part of the brain. I was talking about the amygdala that, that's on alert all the time. And it's, it creates neural pathways to the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain is the executive branch. And great leaders have this highly, highly developed. That's only just a little bit. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that happen in meditation. It's the same kind of thing. You meditate and then you turn around and you say, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then, you know, it's God, my day looks really good. Or I feel really grounded. So it has lots and lots of benefits. It's so important to work on self. Jim Rohn was known to write about and, and to speak about work on yourself harder than you work on your enterprise. Uh, he said business, but we're all running in a different enterprise. So it's always working on yourself. That's important. So we have a hand up and it's by a, a friend, famous author, Bob Hopkins, who wrote this wonderful book. If you don't have it, you should have philanthropymisunderstood.org is where you find it. But um, Bob's interested in a lot of different things, a lot of experience, not the least of which is philanthropy. And he's our guest editor for edition next year on philanthropist. Bob, you have a question for our guest. Well, I do. I'm enjoying this a lot. I talked to Hugh this morning, uh, Tina, and said, who's your speaker? And he told me about you a little bit. And he said, you don't have to come, Bob. You're always there because uh, you're always there. And I say, you know what? I, I'm at an age where I'm ready to learn. How's that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and um, so I'm looking at the title of your book, of course, which intrigued me because I had no idea. I didn't know what mastery under pressure meant. And is, is it really, is it how to keep control when you're just about to go crazy? I think that's a really great <laughs> definition of it. <laughs> okay. Yes, and at the same time, you will become less crazy if you do the work ahead of time and train your body and your mind to be in a calmer state. So when something comes along that would typically drive you up the wall, it doesn't. Okay, well, I have the second question is not a question. First, it's a comment. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of work. I teach college, so I have a lot of college students, and most of my students are minorities, uh, students of color, because I teach community college right now, and I'm loving it because I'm able to say so many things that they have never heard before about how to live life, and they love that. So anyway, it's communications. Um, I'm very curious about self-esteem and what it is and how do people get it as opposed to what my book says that you do to get it, such as look in the mirror and talk about how wonderful you are. That's one of those things about positive thinking. I'm terrific, right? <laughs> and I didn't mean to, but the name of my book is Philanthropy Misunderstood. And I think that I'm becoming to learn that um, I understand more what philanthropy can do, to, do for you. And what philanthropy can do for you mostly is to give you self-esteem. Yes, so, so this is the, the way that I kind of think about self-esteem or confidence, right? They're, they're intimately connected, comes from little successes. So kind of um, when I get to the place where I can have my own nonprofit and have the, the, the bandwidth, actually exactly what I want to do is to work with, with kids, teenagers who don't know these skills, right? So if we do one thing, we just, just that, that going back to that talent code, we just do one little thing and we succeed or we change the way we talk to somebody and we get a different reaction. We say, oh, that, that, you know, that's really good. Let me try that again. And then we have other skills that we have that we learn how to communicate. We learn how to say things that people respond to. They hear us. We're not getting into arguments. That builds that, that kernel of self-esteem. I can navigate my way. 
And so whatever it is, you know, confidence in, in a sport, confidence in music, feeling good about yourself. You have to, in my opinion, it's there to be had, but you have to work at it in some way to manifest it, to become, you know, alive. Have you ever heard of Dr. Doug Lawson? Mm, no. He wrote the book, Give to Live. Mm, no, I'm not familiar which, with it. Which is where I got this first idea, like 25 years ago, that giving is helping a person become. Absolutely. And um, so anyway, that's that's my focus. But anyway, I'm, I'm anxious to have your book. So I'm going to figure out how to get it. And and I'm sure I will be teaching out of it some someday. Thank you. Uh, Bob always has really good comments and, and questions. So thank you for being here. Um, he was supposed to go horse riding today. He's delayed that. So I told him about Tina. He wanted to be here. So um, if anybody else, uh, Burke or Jeffrey, Sandy, anybody else want to ask a question? Um, just open your mic and uh, Burke, you got your mic open. You have a question. Well, not really a question per se, but I think about you're talking about how working on ourselves versus let's say working on our businesses is, is so important. I always love my favorite quote is by you know the Persian poet Rumi. He says, your task is not to seek for love. Your task is to seek and find all, you, all that you've built within yourself against it. <clears throat> as if to say, you know, you can go out and pursue whatever you want, but if you've got an inner mechanism that's repelling it, you can work all you want, but nothing's going to happen. You've got to get rid of the inner thing that is repelling whatever it is you want to open and be open to it. And of course, my, I have my so-called humble revision to that, which is your task is not to seek for love, money, success, you know, fill in the blank. Your task is to seek and remove all that you've built within yourself against it, at least as the first step toward getting toward what you want. Because I, I found myself, I, I really actually was meditating. I was thinking, I am actually repelling money. I could feel it. And I thought... <laughs> I can't believe I'm working like crazy to build this business. And I, in my own psyche, in the back, you know, the, you know, while I'm up here pumping on my little railroad hand car in my frontal, in my conscious mind, my subconscious mind is a big diesel engine train, which yes. is no, you know, my, my little conscious mind is no competition for. I've got to learn how to drive the diesel engine and stop pumping on the little hand That's car. Right. Because, That's the saboteur. Right. That's the saboteur. Exactly. And, there's, and there's somebody else has got this thing with, a list of about 10 saboteurs. And so sorting out which saboteur is in action at the moment and just, you know, put them put them away and get rid of them or at least learn how to deal with them in a conscious way. Well, Burke, you, you probably realize that nobody else has these problems. <laughs> yeah, nobody else. Has, I'm the only so, one. so uh, Tina, what do you think? Well, I think, um, Burke, you, you bring up a really great concept is that we do have these things and we know them and over time they kind of show up but it's the how-to that becomes very sort of um, mysterious. And there are lots of different ways, but it, require, it frequently requires somebody to help point the way and to think about it differently because we only have what we have, right? So if we, 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 we see the world from this point of view and somebody else can see it from this point of view or they can just see, and I know for me, sometimes I just need somebody to say, hey, Tina, look over there. You're just not seeing it. Mm -hmm. and, and then giving me the, the ways to get beyond it, to recognize it, and then to make other choices. Um, well, so elephants, elephants when they're baby elephants are tied to a stick that they can't move. Yes. And then they grow up and they can drag the stick in a house and a half a dozen other things with them, <laughs> but they don't. They just look down. It's that learned helplessness that, well, never could move that thing. I, I won't even try. <laughs> and I find that oftentimes really what I need to do is well, that never worked for me before, but I wonder if I've got some learned helplessness. I don't quite go through all that machinations yeah. in my head. All good questions. It all but comes to that level of curiosity. Try. That's let's, right. Let's, let's give a tug on that on that stick and see if I can move it. Because maybe maybe today, X number of years later, I can do this now. Whereas back then, as a kid, I couldn't, but now I can. Let's, Absolutely. Let's give, it, let's give it a try. Yeah. Those of us in our senior years are discovering new. Thank you, Burke. Um, so so Tina. Um, any, anything you want to comment on there before I go to my next question? Um, well, one thing I want to, I want to make sure that people know is that there's a quiz that I have on these peak performance scales that you can go and take and it's, um, masteryunderpressure.net and, oh. and, um, it'll 
focus, relaxation, dealing with negative self-talk, how to visualize dealing with fear. So your, your, your main website is masteryunderpressure.com. Correct. And then so masteryunderpressure.net. And I'll add that to the interview page. You can find her interview page by going to thenonprofitexchange.org. And right now it's the, the current episode, but you can always go if it's later. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast. It might be 2023. Go to the bottom of that page <laughs> and look on previous episodes or previous videos and you'll find it there with with the others and uh, we keep these these archives and uh, there'll be a full transcription of of the interview there so um i have a we have time for another question i think before we have to start winding down uh so um what do you mean when you say or the, or the statement that says use fear as your greatest teacher well, I think you alluded to a little bit before what many people do is, and you, you alluded to it even just, you know, conflict, they, they don't want conflict, they don't want to feel badly. So our, our idea is to look away, right? If I'm scared of something, um, it's scary. <laughs> but if we look away, we lose the message and sometimes the messenger. So let's say that I'm scared of um, driving in the snow just something like that. And I don't go anywhere near the snow. I don't go, but I love the snow, <laughs> but I'm afraid of driving in it. And so if I pay attention to the fact that, why don't I, why don't I go up to the mountains? Well, okay, that, that fear that's coming up about driving, it's like, okay, so what can I do about it? Can I make this a conscious choice? Can I get chains on my car? Can I, can I go on a bus? Can I, Again, it opens up other possibilities, other ideas. This is a very little, you know, a little example. But just by asking myself, what am I scared of? Where's the fear? Where is it coming from? What's it about? And many times if it's, it's old stuff or really scary experiences or traumatic experiences, people really don't want to take a look. Mm -hmm. But what I say is that we know all this stuff about ourselves already. You know, somebody like me or some other coaches or, you know, books that you read, we, we can help you uncover what you already know. And so by avoidance, which is, again, is the, is the most prevalent thing that people, you know, do when, when they're scared, is they lose a whole opportunity to learn. You know, I love to ski. It's the same thing. You know, I'm scared to, to go down, you know, so it's, it helps me problem solve, I guess, is the, really the bottom line. Those are learning opportunities, mm -hmm. and um, and you're you're um, moving f from the the superficial high of what was it positive positive, positive thinking? thinking yeah 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 the the, um, the what's the old expression that the somebody's so heavenly minded and they're they're no earthly good, <laughs> <laughs> but that I think there's a finite difference in what Napoleon Hill writes about it was a positive mental attitude. You know, yes. it's, it's the can-do piece of that. So there's there's a unique distinction in in that. Um, so I'm looking at at um, at your your book here. Um, he writes about how these successful leaders um, had very powerful visualizations, mm -hmm. and you have two chapters on that: creating power power visualizations and creating your visualizations which comes after managing transforming fear and clearing the fears. So I'm assuming these are in some sort of a sequential order that they relate one to another, are they? They all related. They're all related. So let's say, again, one of the most famous things is people's fear of public speaking. And so not everybody is scared for the same reason. One of my sons was a great performer when he was younger and he was running for president of the elementary school and he had a speech that he was going to do and he got up there and he forgot it and he ran off the stage and I went to pick him up in the schoolyard and everybody said oh is Scott okay is he okay is he okay and I said what happened I can't tell you how long it took him and he's a theater major now <laughs> I mean, he's getting a PhD in theater performance 
but it took him a long time mm -hmm. to have the willingness to get back there and um, and get up on stage again. Somebody else may for you know the other people have different stories. That's why your story is unique. I say there's only so many themes, but there's an infinite number of variations. And so we want to know why it is that you're scared of public speaking. Deal with that fear. And let's let's start little. Let's join Toastmasters and let's do a an icebreaker speech. And, and let's build a little confidence and a little success. And let's learn the skills that go in with being a really good public speaker and so on. And um, so they are intimately connected, yes. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of, from my experience, a lot of my fears are superficial and self-manufactured. Uh, you imagine things that aren't really there. And um, when you saw me at CS Space, but in previous years, we had a lot bigger forum with, you know, cameras and 500 people in the audience. And in May of 2007, Bernie put me on the big stage. I don't think he realized I had spent my whole career with my back to the audience. So I just figured I'm going to screw up. So I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> so, you know, if I, if we spent all our time dwelling on those things that might happen, I mean, that, that's paralyzing. And, and, Yes. I've got plenty. I got plenty. I could. I could say I've been not been good at. Plenty of things I could bring to mind. So I'm going to do a, another sponsor moment here, and then I'm going to come back to you. This has been so helpful, so informative, and I hope everybody rushes out and gets your book because it's we ought to have it on our shelf because I find that that really good leaders are are really avid readers. And they read a book more than once, one time with a certain color highlighter and the next time with a different color. And I find that I highlight different things. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm going to come back to you for a closing thought, tip or challenge. What do you want to leave us with today? But let me talk about Easy Card. One of our sponsors is Easy Card. And here you have CenterVision's Easy Card. So if you send a text from your smartphone to a five digit number, six Four six zero zero. Send a text to six four six zero zero as the number, and in the message, just put three letters L D R L D R, and then you'll have this card on your phone. And if we look at the nonprofit exchange on that, we look up. There's mastery under pressure, and if we click on mastery under pressure, we see the live the live video of us talking. And right there on, the, and so you'll have everything Center Vision does in the palm of your hand, and we can communicate by email, text, or however. So send a text to six four six zero zero with L D R, and we will be connected. So easy card, and you can have one for your charity. Stay in touch with your tribe. At the touch of a button, you can text them. Tina, what do you want to leave us with today? It's a whole bunch of good stuff, and I encourage people to download the podcast and listen to it as they're traveling as a follow-up and then read the, read the transcript. So what do you want to leave us with today? Well, people ask me all, exactly what you asked me. If, if I could teach you one thing or tell you one thing, and this is the thing that, that kind of guides my life. I look at a situation and I say, what's in my control, what's out of my control? Very simple question, but it guides me. What's in my control, what's out of my control. And I just work from that place. So when I think about all the things that are happening politically, you know, what's in my control, I've got, I've got postcards that I'm writing out. Um, you know, I can get involved politically if I want. I can get really involved. Um, what's out of my control? I'm not going to be the one that's going to call the election. And so I, and if it's out of my control, then I have to go inward. How do I manage this feeling? How do I manage this fear? And, and, and you see, everything is all related. All the things that we've talked about, it all comes really from, stems from that question, what's in my control, what's out of my control? Absolutely. Well, this is, um, I learn something every week from our guests and I got a whole list today. So uh, Tina Greenbaum, uh, the author of this just really, really good book, which you should have, Mastery Under Pressure. Um, I assume it's on Amazon. Yes, it is. It's also on my website. You can click on my website and find it as well. Masteryunderpressure.com is where you can find out more about Tina and masteryunderpressure.net. She just told us, and I'll put it up there, is a place you can get uh, hmm, 
go and see what you're going to get masteryunderpressure.net tina greenbaum thank you for sharing your wisdom and your your information with our tribe today thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.